Okay, so here we go. Uh, question number one. What aspect of bibliology has caused you to rejoice the most? Um, well, I'll say for me, it's been um, one, God's faithfulness to preserve his word uh, for his glory and the good and the sanctification and salvation of his elect. So I, I can't, it, it's hard for me to get away from uh, God's faithfulness in preserving his word in time and space. Um, it just, it, it always points me back to the fact that uh, God has kept this and he's guarded it from error and extinction um, and he's kept it for his saints in his glory. So that's been one and um, it's a uh, I, I guess uh, tied to that is God's care for his people as they read it so he's kept it but also when I read it and I'm, I'm going through it it, it reminds me that uh, this is uh, God's uh, love to his children he's given it in his word so it's just it keeps pointing me back to God's faithfulness um, and his keeping it and as my heart is sanctified I can say to myself God has kept this, preserved it for me, for his glory and my good as I see it, and I'm being sanctified by it. So it's not just a dead book, but it's actually sanctified. So those two are things that are constantly in my mind as I think about the word. He hasn't left me to myself. So. Yeah, and I think probably through, throughout the study um, was when we did the uh, section on textual criticism. Yeah. And uh, we were working through an article by Greg Bonson on the... Um, inerrancy of the autographs and uh, going back through that, I'd gone through that article many years ago and going back through that I think just for me the joy that was in that as I was reminded of the view that Jesus and the apostles held for the copies of the Old Testament that they had in hand during their day and how they pointed to it as the authoritative word of God without question um, so the confidence uh, that we have of picking up our Bibles yeah. is to know we're picking up the same text that Jesus and his apostles were affirming as the authoritative word of God, even though they were copies of the original. Um, so that, that was really encouraging and just strengthening for my, for my soul. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's very encouraging. <clears throat> what books on bibliology do you recommend? Um, <clears throat> Is that the, the, the list you have there? Uh, that's part hermeneutics, part bibliology. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, first I would say um, James White, King James Only Controversy, which uh, a friend uh, who was in this class, who I will not name, purchased for me, <laughs> <laughs> which was really helpful. Um, David Allen Black, uh, New Testament Textual Criticism, is really good. Um, I, just, I like the way he writes. It's easy to follow. F.F. Um, Bruce, The Canon of Scripture, it's a thicker book, but it's good. Um, anything that Dan Wallace uh, puts out on the subject of bibliology, bibliology is good. Um, Louis Burkhoff, um, Principles of Biblical Interpretation. That's um, actually free online in PDF form, um, and it's, it's a lot. It's, it's heavy, but it's really good for building a foundation for how to, I think, properly interpret Scripture. And then D.A. Carson, Exegetical Fallacies, which is, D.A. Carson's is really smart, so have his book and then a dictionary and you'll be able to get through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, I, yeah, so amen to, to all that. A couple that I would, I would add probably, um, 
would be Robert Plumer's book, 40 Questions. Even though this says 40 Questions about interpreting the Bible, it deals a lot with bibliology in the, uh, in the beginning of it. So I've got a copy of this up here if you want to come up later and take a picture of it or whatever you want to do to remember what it is. But that, that's a really helpful, helpful book. Um, you know, Grudem's systematic theology is good. I mean, we, we have some differences with Grudem, but um, for the most part on this topic of bibliology, um, he's, he's very helpful and he's very readable. That's another good thing about Grudem. He's very easy to access. Um, so that's one. A book that I've read bits and pieces of, but not from cover to cover, is uh, Kevin DeYoung's Taking God at His Word, um, which is, I think, just come out in the last couple years, yeah. something like that. So that's a good one. And then always, uh, you know, our Confession of Faith, the 1689 Confession of Faith. Uh, it's, it's an excellent resource to use devotionally as well as building up and, you know, having your confidence grounded in, in the Scripture. So those are a few others that I'd, I'd add to that list. George. For Desmond, any books that are heavy, I suggest e-books. That, um, They're heavy books. I'm saying because e-books are good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So for you to to read on your iPads. Yes. It's always. I have to think about it and then. Okay. Is that is that a, is that a true question, Jordan, or is that just? A, I'm all in like bibliology mode. Yeah. 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 It took me a while. No, it's true. Um, <clears throat> excellent. Thank you, guys. What are the best resources or methods for Bible study and interpretation? Including books, articles for developing this skill, mm -hmm. preferably free. That's what it, that's what it says there. That's, that's, that's how it says. Yeah. Because yeah. you can spend a lot of money on this. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, that, that's can. good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll just jump in with a few, uh, few things that uh, have been helpful. Well, actually, I'm going to let you, because you did the class on hermeneutics. So let, uh, I'll um, let you speak okay. first, and then I'll, I'll piggyback on you. So a lot of these were, some were the same as uh, the previous question, books on bibliology, that you would recommend. But, um, so again, Louis, Louis Burkhoff, uh, Principles of Biblical Interpretation, that's free online in PDF form. Um, Exegetical Fallacies, D.A. Carson. Um, Dennis Johnson, Him We Proclaim, uh, Preaching Christ from All of the Scriptures, really good. Oh, there you go, bam. Really, really good book. We had to read that for our um, hermeneutics class. Hermeneutics, yeah. Yep. Um, and so it was just a really good, good book. Um, Christ-centered biblical theology. Is that a question? Him we proclaim, Dennis, Dennis Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Christ-centered bibliology, um, hermeneutical foundations and principles is a good book. Um, what else? Oh, free online, hermeneutics and biblical theology by uh, S.M. Ball. Um, it's free online as well. So those are two free ones that you won't have to pay for. Um, and so to answer the other part of that question, as far as doing interpretation, so we talked about grammatical historical, um, and we talked about redemptive historical. So grammatical historical, the importance of the setting, um, uh, the, the context, uh, the time, the writer, all of those, are the background studies are helpful and important. Um, but then we talked about um, redemptive historical. So what is the Bible uh, aiming at? What is it moving towards? It's not just history, but it's a history of redemption. So that helps us to not just uh, stop at understanding the, the setting, but how has God, who created all things, uh, placed that setting in 
even in that setting, is moving things towards his ultimate purpose, which is his glory and redemption through his son. So um, that's uh, really important, too. Yeah. And just, just to kind of piggyback on that, I unfortunately missed that class on, on hermeneutics, but um, to pick up on that point, and this is something that Dennis Johnson goes through mm-hmm. in his book, um, Him We Proclaim, is we, we live at the time where we have the whole canon of Scripture. So we, we look at things in a slightly different perspective in the sense that everything has come to fruition for us now. We see the work of Christ and the implications of that and where everything's headed uh, to its finality at the consummation. So we want to make sure that when we're reading through the scriptures, as Desmond said, we're looking at it through the lens of what Christ has accomplished as well. And let me give you an example of that. Uh, Dennis Johnson in his book, I can't remember exactly where it was, but he brought up a really good point in this. And he said, if, if an Orthodox Jew came into our, our church and listened to a message that we did on David and Goliath, and we just looked at it in its grammatical, historical setting, and we just said, what we see here is David's, God using David, raising him up to defeat Goliath. Um, and we just stuck with that, and we didn't push that beyond that. That Orthodox Jew could walk out and say, Amen to what you preached. And therefore, it wasn't really a Christian sermon because it didn't get to Christ. Now, what we're we're not saying is you try to take Jesus and slam him into every verse in in the Bible and make him fit. Some have tried to do that. That's not a good hermeneutical principle. But you do want to look at the scripture redemptive historically and say that David and his war with Goliath was a real historical event, but it was also pointing to something greater. And that was God's man who would come in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ and defeat the true enemy of God's people, which is sin and, and death and, and, and hell. So, so that's a really important point is when you're looking at these things, because we have all of the scripture laid out before us, we want to make sure that we don't stop short. So grammatical historical is needed but we have to be careful that we don't just stop right there and not let it go further than what Christ has already accomplished and the implications of that going forward. Amen. Thank you, guys. And that actually gets at the scope of Scripture. Yes. What is the end to which you know it's going? Um, I was thinking about if, if we understand, if we have an analogy of Scripture, an analogy of faith, and the scope of Scripture, where it's going, um, that it's for the glory of God, then when we see things in Scripture, if we see... Um, Someone, if we see sin in scripture and we see God um, punishing or dealing with sin, uh, having a right scope of scripture causes us to say, okay, it causes us not to put God on trial and say, well, he, he must be a bad and an evil God. How come he's so angry at this sin? If we have a right scope of scripture, we know that the scripture, the end of scripture is for the glory of God. So God and his glory and upholding his glory and holiness punishes sin. So we, we don't look at the man and, uh, in a sense, side with the man and put God on trial, but we side with God and say God is holy um, and will preserve his holy character. Yes. And so I think that those are, two, those are tied together. As we even come across little passages that make us feel like, oh, man, well, that seems like we are of God's character. If we know his character, we can say it's in line with his character. Yeah, amen. Let me, let me just plug a couple more books. Coming back to this uh, um, book by Robert Plumer, um, 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible, 
it's very readable. That's another reason that I would recommend it. And he does a really good job of dealing with genre, which is very important when you're talking about uh, hermeneutics. Um, what genre is this being written in? Is this apocalyptic? Is it narrative, historical? What is it? Um, he does a really good job, and it's broken down very nicely um, in there. Desmond's mentioned all of these, so I won't mention those. And then another good one is God's Big Picture by Vaughn Roberts. Desmond and I taught a Sunday school on this um, four, four or five years ago. But this is, this is a, a really nice summarization of tracing the storyline of the Bible. So kind of starting in Genesis and working all the way through, the Re- through Revelation. Um, it's, it's very helpful. So this is another one. And again, I'll have all these up here if you want to come take a look at them. And then Ed Clowney's book, The Unfolding Mystery, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. Um, that's a good one. A little bit shorter. It's essentially Dennis Johnson kind of took Ed Clowney's book and expanded on it. Um, so these are these are some helpful helpful resources for you as well. Excellent. Thank you, guys. What Greek New Testament texts are considered trustworthy to consult on our own? Um, yeah, the and I want to pronounce this. Nestle, because that's what it looks like, but if I understand correctly, it's Nessie Island. Um, so, like Nestle, so if you're writing it down, like Nestle Crunch Bar, um, Island, A L A N D. And I think they're up to their 28th edition in that, and most scholars would agree that that's the best text because it's constantly under the scrutiny of textual criticism. So, as new things come about, as, as we discover more and we You know, you you come across another manuscript, a Greek New Testament manuscript, looking at that in the light of the whole and working through that. So that's that's a good one. Um, Bible studies, BibleStudyTools.com, BibleStudyTools.com has that text online for free that you can uh, interact with. And then the United Bible Societies, I don't know if they have beyond a fourth edition, but when when I took uh, Greek, that was the text that, that we had to use. So those are a couple good ones that you want to interact with. But the Nessie Island one, from what I understand, is the, the one that you kind of want to, want to go to. Okay? All right. Uh, what, text, uh, what textual criticism books do you recommend for further research? I know we've uh, talked about a yeah. lot of them. Any, anything else yeah. on that? Desmond mentioned the one by David Allen Black yeah. on New Testament, uh, New Testament textual criticism. This is one that I, I used... Um, for a seminary class, uh, Introduction to New Testament Textual Criticism by J. Harold Greenlee. Um, so you can come and take a look at this one if you want. And it's um, what I like. It's not that long, so it doesn't get inundated in a lot of technical terms that are just, you know, zipping over your head left and right. You read 10 pages and you're like, I don't even understand a paragraph of what I've read, <laughs> you know, type stuff. So it's, it's readable, which is what I like about it. It'll take a little thought, but if you're interested in the field of textual criticism, that's a helpful, helpful book as well. Daniel Wallace has a couple of articles. Um, the Reliability of the New Testament Scriptures by Dan Wallace is good. Um, he's like one of the leading minds on this subject, but he really writes in a way that's really easy to understand, and he's funny too. Um, Reinventing Jesus uh, by Dan Wallace. Um, he co-authored with, with, with some other guys. Um, and I think that's it. Um, yeah. Reinventing Jesus and um, the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts are both good. Dan Wallace. 
what do you enjoy most and benefit from textual criticism? That's similar to the first question. Was the first it question? Is. Yeah. So um, I guess my, my answer was. Excuse, uh, could you just for people who um, may not be familiar with textual criticism, can you define textual criticism and then sure. and then answer about what you enjoy about <laughs> it? So um, textual criticism, and I'm sort of taking some of Dan Wallace's um, definition here, um, is is the science of trying to uh, determine through manuscripts what the Bible originally said. Um, just to, to put it simply. It, it can get very technical, but we're just trying to get back to what the Bible originally said yep. by studying manuscripts. Um, so, um, what was the question? Well, what, <laughs> what do you, what do you most, do you about, most about it? <laughs> um, so, uh, I was thinking about this, and so my first answer would be just, again, God's preserving of his word. Yeah. But secondly, this, this may sound bad, but I enjoy um, understanding these uh, the arguments and uh, almost taking the teeth out of the mouth of the critics who uh, want to sort of, they want to address this subject and bring up things that are like, well, because you didn't know this about your Bible. Yeah. I want to say, you know, that's a good point. And actually, I have done some study on that. And this is what I think about it. Um, and this is what the church confesses about it. So I enjoy doing that. <laughs> Not to win an argument, but just to... Um, show the, the skeptic uh, we're, we're not uninformed we care about yes. the love of God and we care about the word of God we yes. care about um, these even history as God's history who's preserved his word so they're not separate in my mind and so I enjoy discussing those things um, along with again my own heart's encouragement that God has preserved his word for his glory and the sanctification and salvation of his elect so both of those are in my mind. Amen. That's right. I, I can't. I can't improve on that. That's a great answer. Um, and it, my my answer really goes back to the first question of what I enjoy most, and that is just seeing God's preservation of His Word, and again the uh, affirmation of Jesus and the apostles for the Old Testament texts uh, that they had in their hands, copies of the originals. And um, you know, Luke four, I think probably was you know one of the most encouraging portions of of the study when Jesus walks into the synagogue at Nazareth and he is given the scroll and he opens it finds Isaiah 61 reads it and says this is this uh, this is fulfilled in your hearing today and rolls it back up hands it to the attendant and sits down and the reality that he has in his hand a copy of the the original and he affirms that I just read the word of God and fulfilled it and hands it back to the attendant. And I mean, you can imagine minds blowing in that synagogue on that day. Just like, wait, what did he just say? Um, so, yeah. So, again, the confidence, I think, that it, that it creates in my own heart when I open the word of God. Um, you know, you think it's something that you should just automatically know. You know, it's just like, yeah, of course it's the Word of God, but man, your heart needs to be refreshed and reminded of these truths. And um, so that, that was super encouraging for me going through this textual criticism portion of the class and uh, just being strengthened. Amen. <clears throat> if someone you're giving the gospel to says, I don't believe the Bible is God's Word, what could I say in a clear and concise way about textual accuracy to show them that it is God's word. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. You know, that, that's, a, that's a good question. We kind of addressed that, you know, in the class of, um, you know, ultimately the Holy Spirit's got to be the one to convince them that the Bible is, right. is the Word of God. Right. Um, but uh, also another good way to answer a question like that is by asking a question, because typically when people bring things up like that, they're just trying to divert um, and, and push away from the reality. So what to find out, is this a genuine question that you have? Are you really interested in looking into the truthfulness of the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God? Is to ask them, what evidence have you found that it isn't the Word of God? Right? So we, we, we constantly feel like we have to be put on trial here. But God has spoken in His Word. So, so we can ask that question, because you'll find out pretty quickly whether or not that person is genuine. Um, what evidence have you found that it isn't the Word of God? And see how they respond to that. They may have genuine questions that they really want answers to, and that can promote a great discussion for us to, to have with them. Uh, but ultimately, where we rest, and this is something else that, that I would I'd like to ask, is if they have read maybe a little bit of it, um, I would say, would you be willing to get together and read through the Bible you know, with me, at least a, a portion of it. And again, my reason for that is letting the Bible speak for itself and also trusting the power of the gospel. Um, because it's as the word of God goes forth that it creates the belief that is, that is necessary. So I want to get people into the Bible, reading it with them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So. I would um, add to that. I think that's a great great response because that's true you, you want to get at the heart of, of the question and I, I want to say I don't think you can answer this in passing in in a word um, but um, I'm, I'm going to reference uh, Bodie Bauckham's Why I Believe the Bible it's really good mm -hmm. he has something that he mentions over and over and over in that and um, he says this I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses they report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim their writings as divine rather than human in origin. Um, you're not going to be able to write all that, I know. But <laughs> um, reference, um, I, I believe the Bible, why I choose to believe the Bible. It's a good um, uh, sort of sermon on this. As I was thinking through this, I, I thought about being, I don't know, at UCF in my neighborhood and uh, talking to a person and saying, well, I don't believe that the Bible is God's word. What can I say to them that would help them? So I, I, I want to try to at least take a shot at <laughs> uh, answering that. And as I was writing this down, I was like, I can be wordy, so let me try and get it down to just maybe a few sentences. Um, so I said this, the Bible is written over a period, person, God, girl, did you know that the Bible was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three continents who wrote in three different languages? Uh, that fact alone makes the Bible different. They composed their works from place, different places, prisons, wilderness, um, and history. They, they write about laws, poetry, history, and even Jesus Christ. The Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents. The New Testament was actually written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Uh, or, or, or during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Despite this array of human authorship, there's one message in the Bible which no other book has, not, Mormon, not, not the Book of Mormon, not the Quran. Uh, all the writings are corroborated and consistent with each other and all point to the glory of God rather than the glory of man. Um, so 
those who wrote it, being from different places, um, speaking different languages, um, having a consistent message that highlights the glory of God rather than the glory of man. No other book is like that. No other uh, holy book is like that. Amen. So, well stated. How does the confidence in the Word of God that we have today explain why we know all the errors in spelling, etc., of copies of manuscripts? Is that worded right? I I don't know if it's worded right, but I think I understand the gist of what's being asked there is that, you know, where, where does our confidence lie in light of these you know, errors and other, other things like that in Scripture. And I, th- I think the, the answer to that is the subject of textual criticism. I mean, that's, that's, that's where it lies. So when, when you take into account, and I think you showed part of this, right, in the uh, class Dan Wallace's, um, where he talked about the embarrassment of riches. Yeah. And uh, we were just talking about that yesterday at, at lunch after some evangelism. And um, the, the overwhelming amount of manuscripts that we have for the Greek New Testament in comparison to other historical documents is ridiculously unfair in a sense. <laughs> it's, it's, Dan Wallace says it's an embarrassment of riches. It's like we have so much that it's overwhelming um, to the person. So and, and then when we look at that and we recognize that, I, I think it was 99.5% yeah. um, uh, of what we're dealing with there are just little uh, spelling errors, grammatical, word order, things like that. Nothing that touches the essence of the message right. of the Bible. Right. Um, and when you compare that with other historical <laughs> documents, um, they're not even in the same league. It's, it's so, um, so the confidence is derived from the fact, again, going back to um, God's sovereignty and preservation, is that, man, he has preserved his word from his enemies who are constantly seeking to destroy the word of God. And that's evidence everywhere you go. Every special you see on TV, it's not attacking the Book of Mormon. It's not attacking the Quran. It's attacking the word of God. And the reason for that is because man is trying to silence the God to whom he know he will one day have to give an account. Sorry, I got preaching there. Yeah, that's great. No, that's great. <clears throat> Despite changes, errors in the Bible still leads to sanctification. I'm sorry. See, I read that right. Despite changes, errors in the Bible still leads... I think it's... Maybe despite changes and errors in the Bible, it still leads to sanctification. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, the Bible still leads to sanctification, <laughs> right. salvation. But because of changes, errors, can can it change the meaning, interpretation of the whole book or story of the Bible? Um, so I would say that the fact that we can know that changes have occurred means that there's a reference point from which the change has come. Okay, so uh, an authentic bill, dollar bill, um, we can recognize uh, the fake from the authentic. So um, to, to answer the question more, more directly, um, these, these changes in interpretation which, or just these changes in the scripture um, that changes of interpretation that can change the meaning of the story of the book, 
that is possible, but it's not left there because we have so much evidence that helps us get back to yeah. the original meaning. Right. So even if one manuscript does have something that um, something's a change in it that does change or appears to change some essential of, of the doctrine, we don't just have that one to go off of. We can compare it with uh, 5,833 others right. <laughs> to, right. to see if that's what the original actually said. Um, so did, did I answer that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember the class that Desmond did where he put up um, three sentences that were just slightly different. And I can't remember exactly what the sentence says, but something Sarah like... Sarah went to the mall. Okay, Sarah went to the mall. Yeah. And, you know, on one document, you had the H of Sarah missing. And then the next line, you had uh, the T from went missing. And then the next line, you had the two L's from mall missing. Well, you take those together, and you know what happened there. Sarah went to the mall, right? So even though you have those errors, and, and that's realistically what we're dealing with when we talk about yeah. errors in the manuscripts. Right. That's, what, that's, for the most part, what we're looking at, right. um, outside of a couple of more difficult um, passages. But that's the majority of what we have. So you're not stumbling over that and trying to figure out what exactly happened here. You know, you can just kind of read, read through it. We do this all the time, actually. Like when somebody sends you a, an email and there's misspellings all over it, you still know what they said. You can still work it through. I don't know if you've ever seen those things where people like jumble up all the letters and you're still able to read it. Um, and, and that's the reality of it. Those are the type of things that were missing, you know, during, during that time. Yes. Okay. see that I, I brought out the um the the wicked bible of 1631 where it translated uh thou shall not commit adultery thou shall commit adultery right. now that word change is huge yeah. <laughs> that says something about the whole bible the character of god the holiness of god that's huge but they were fined the publishers were fined and had their license taken and they just took a lot of heat from the church at that time because we knew, the church knew what, was it, what it was supposed to say. Right. So again, they can look at that and say, they can call it a wicked Bible because it's, again, it's coming from the original which says thou shalt not commit adultery. Right. So again, the, the reference, the grounding in the original helps us to identify all the fakes. And 5,800 manuscripts allows us to do that. Um, it is an embarrassment of riches, as Dan Wallace says. So. Amen. I want to thank you guys for answering the questions today. Um, there are more questions, um, and again, Good like I said, too. Yeah, yeah, excellent, yeah, excellent yeah. questions. So, if um, we didn't get to your question that you submitted, yeah. we're going to get together, record it, and we'll post it online. We'll let you know when that happens. Hopefully, within the next week or two. Yeah, and thanks again for your questions. Let me go ahead and pray.
Our Father, we thank you once again for um, just encouraging us with uh, not only the teaching series, but uh, the questions and the answers um, that we know and we have confident that um, you have guided these men to, uh, to, to, to think through and, and to answer in a way that uh, represents uh, the gift that you've given to us, Lord, even today, which is the, the word of God, your word to us. Lord. We are so grateful that um, we can take time just to think about how you've preserved your word uh, in every generation, every century. Uh, and we have that here today, and we, we never want to overlook such a blessing that we can access your word um, and hear uh, what you have to say to us, Lord. Uh, we know that this is a gift. You don't owe us uh, a revelation of your word. Um, this, is, this is a grace that's been given to us, Lord, and we, we want to thank you and praise your name for that. Um, and we ask that this would... Um, stay in our minds and in our hearts as we go on through the week to meditate on just the goodness of, of the reality that you've preserved your word for us. Uh, we ask that you would help us to trust more on your word, rely more on it, and to live by every single one of, of your word. Uh, Father, we thank you. Um, we pray for the service today as we transition into the worship service. Help us to honor and glorify you in light of everything that we've discussed today. Lord, we thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.